All right, you're listening to another podcast from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. I'm your host, Tom Johnson, and today I'm talking with Mike Hamilton at Madcap Software about uh, Flare 6 and what it contains, what can people expect, what are, their work, what are they working on, things like that. So, Mike, um, tell, for people who don't know you, and I can't imagine that many people wouldn't know you because you're kind of the spokesperson for the most part of, of a lot of Madcap products. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, though, and what your role is there at Madcap. Alrighty. Uh, well, uh, my official title is I'm the VP of Product Management at Madcap Software. Uh, my background, I'm kind of an odd duck to be in the software side of a technical com- communications business. My education is actually in physics, of all things. But I found out that when you work at a nuclear reactor plant and you complain the most about the sorry state of the reactor plant manuals, then you get to become the tech pub's librarian. And that sent me skittering off on a whole new career path in uh, technical communications. I started off, you know, writing procedures, doing technical editing, did a segue over to instructional design work. That's how I got involved in the software side. Back in 96, 97, I was one of the authors of the original certified RoboHelp training materials. Went on to become the RoboHelp product manager for many, many years. And then in 2005, when Macromedia, who was then the owner, uh, fired everybody, basically went into a change of direction, then I became one of the founders over at Madcap. So it's kind of this weird, circuitous path I went through. But I'm actually glad it worked out that way because it gives me a lot of great insight into how people use these tools because I'm not just a creator of them. I used to be a user of them. Wow. I, I never knew your your background was in physics at a, at a what, what laboratory did you say? A national laboratory of some kind? Um, actually, I did most of my work with the U.S. Navy, and I spent quite a bit of time in uh, the Idaho desert at the INEL, the Idaho National Engineering Laboratory. Ah, that's cool. So let's uh, jump into Flare 6 here. You guys are releasing something soon. At What's in it that's kind of your sev- several of your biggest features that are uh, going to be most appealing to people? Well, there's a lot of new functionality in there, but probably the thing that people, well, actually they may or may not notice, but one of the biggest things from our perspective is there is definitely a change in focus. Up until this point... The challenge has been getting as much functionality into the product line as fast as we could. And the main impetus behind that was just, uh, you know, success of the company. Uh, Everybody thought we were a bit crazy trying to bring a new product into this market. Since about 93 or 94, several companies have tried to bring in new products. Uh, Probably the most recent uh, people would be familiar with would be like Rascal Software a few years ago. And none of them have been able to make a go at it. So when we tried it, everybody kind of thought, oh, we're nuts. So it's been a race up to this point to build a feature set that we thought was not only competitive, but really set us apart. So the downside to that is when you're moving that fast, sometimes things just aren't quite as polished as you would like. So with Flare 6, or actually with Flare 5's release, we finally had the feature set we had been dreaming of from the beginning, a kind of our, our great whiteboard experiment. So now with six, we've actually shifted gears a little bit, and a lot more work is going back into polish, consistency, usability of the interface. Now, 
we tried not to do that at any expense of new functionality. There's always new things that customers want. But people who maybe checked us out at Flare version 3 or Flare version 4, if they download Flare version 6, they're going to see a whole new level of uh, ease of interface, consistency between elements. So it's kind of a sea change for us, a shifting of gears. So that's kind of the, the highest level change. As far as the new functionality, the authoring process is pretty robust as is. So we started focusing in a couple of different areas, and that's in the area of making the process easier, of making working with coworkers easier, and new delivery formats. So a couple of different areas. Um, probably the one of the more technical new functionality pieces is a new batch generate and batch publish option. Uh, the way Flare is designed, you've always been able to, to use it as a single sourcing tool. You may have, you know, 10 different deliverables you can build, but you built them one at a time, or you had to have some technical knowledge to be able to write batch files and use the command line interface. Well, now with Flare 6, we're going to have a nice graphical user interface where you can actually build kind of a, a macro target that says when I invoke this then I want these 14 documents built all at the same time and then to leverage that even further there's a scheduling component as well so you can set it up in the Flare interface that says okay I want these 14 documents built and I want them built at 2 a.m. you know every Tuesday or, or every night or whatever periodicity you need so that's one of those cases where could you do that in a previous version yeah, but you had to know how to do the scripting and write the batch files, and now there's a nice clean interface on it. So that's one of the new things. As far as the uh, working with coworkers, probably what I think is kind of the stealth big feature is something we call file tagging. What this allows you to do is go into any file in your documentation set. Could be topics, could be style sheets, could be anything and add new metadata to it. So I can add a set of tags that assign these files to particular members of the team. So, you know, Joe is now responsible for these 10 topics. Mary is responsible for the style sheet and these 14 topics. So now we have owners assigned. Then I can add another set of tags that talk about the status of these topics you know, in process, pending review, uh, awaiting translation, whatever that status needs to be. Now, there's some of this kind of stuff we used to have in some of the older tools I've worked on, but it was fairly well locked down. One of the things that we've done is made it flexible. So if your team is doing translation and localization, well, you can add two or three of these status tags just for your translation localization part of the process. If you're not doing translation or localization, well, you can delete or ignore any of those tags. So it's not locked. You don't get, okay, here are the, the five status tags we'll let you use. We're going to give you a collection of tags to start with, but you can create all of the additional tags you want or need. So it's just going to make managing a project much easier. Um, if something happens, you know, an employee goes on emergency leave, then a manager can pull a report that says, okay, I need to see every topic assigned to Joe with a status of pending or in progress. Boop! You get a list of all of the files that Joe was working on before he had to go on emergency leave. Uh, so 
I think that's kind of be the stealth feature. It's not the kind of feature where you can take fancy screen captures and the press gets all excited, but it's a lot of extra metadata that can be added to particular files. Uh, another area where, again, this may not be earth-shattering or groundbreaking, but we've tried to add better visibility to what making edits or changes to a file will have on the overall system. Uh, for, for people who are familiar with Flare, you know it's topic-based, but for people who aren't, it's based on these content modules we call topics. And one topic may be used in multiple deliverables that you generate. I mean, the same topic may get used in the online help, the getting started guide, and the training manual. The challenge with older versions was you never really knew what documents were going to use this content. So something else new in Flare 6 is something called what we call the link viewer mode. And I can open up an extra little information pane. And so when I open a file, and it could be a topic, it could be a graphic, it could be any file, I immediately get a list of every file that references the file I have open, every file referenced from this file I have open, and probably my favorite part, I get a list of all of the target documents that we can build from this project, every one of them that is referencing this particular file I see in a list. So now I don't have to guess. I can open up a particular topic, glance up to the right, and I know any change I make to this page will impact the online help, the getting started guide, and the training manual out of a list of you know 20 or 30 deliverables. So a lot better visibility in what impact my edits may have. And then probably, this is the one I think the, the, the bloggers and the press are probably going to be the most excited about as far as the big new functionality is a new output. Uh, traditionally, we've had outputs for, you know, desktop, for web, PDF, Word, FrameMaker, all of the typical ones. But now with this release, we're adding a dedicated output for mobile devices. The main reason for that has been customer request. Uh, we have a lot of our customers who aren't in the traditional software side of the business anymore, but they're just doing policies, procedures, you know, business type documentation. And in some segments, especially in places like, you know, healthcare, almost everybody is carrying a portable device now, you know, an iPhone or a Blackberry or a Windows mobile device. So now with Flare 6, we're going to have a dedicated output just for those mobile micro browsers. And one of the cool things about it is it wasn't written just for any one particular device. The new mobile output has been tested on iPhone, Blackberry, uh, Android, and Windows Mobile. I don't think I've forgotten one in there. But it's designed to have one deliverable that works on all of those platforms. And there was a lot of research that went into it. We actually went back and we looked at all of the major historical formats. We looked at, obviously, Microsoft HTML help. We looked at our own version of web help we've been using for years. We looked at other versions of web help that exist out there. We looked at systems like Java help and Eclipse help. We even went back and did some research on the old WinHelp uh, system as well. And so what we came up with was we tried to pick kind of the best of the best from all of the existing formats 
and then build it into a form factor that fits those smaller screens. So it's kind of interesting from a back end approach, it's very similar to the web help technology. But from a user's perspective, it actually feels the most almost like the original WinHelp. It's more of a, a single window model rather than trying to force fit that multi-pane model into that small screen real estate. Uh, but it actually works really, really well. And the nice thing is it doesn't have to be a dedicated output. You can always publish using the single source functionality the full browser-based version for desktop access and also have an alternate mobile version as well so when people are away from their desk and they're using their portable device they have access to the exact same information but I mean that's but that's one that's easy to take screenshots of so I'm sure we're gonna see a lot of, of you know blogging and press coverage of that when some of the other functionality is just as important I mean, that's probably the big stuff there's a whole laundry list of additional things um, especially as far as improving the usability uh, a lot of icon changes, a lot of interface, I mean, subtle interface changes. For example, the, the indexing interface. It was good, but it was a bit confusing. It's been simplified a bit. Uh, same thing with the insert hyperlink dialogues, insert cross-reference dialogues. We did some usability testing and have improved on those, uh, so it's a little bit more intuitive to use. Um, trying to remember some of the other bigger things here. Uh, there's a new uh, PDF rendering engine that we're using now. Most people won't see a huge difference in just viewing their PDF files, but the biggest changes are it has much better support for the double-byte Asian character sets now. There were a couple of glitches with our old model, uh, but as a, an advantage for everybody, by making that switch, our PDF file sizes are about half of what they were for an equivalent PDF in a Flare 5 built system. So that's a kind of a hidden bonus for everybody. Oh, I'm trying to think other new cool things. Uh, massively expanded our multimedia support. Up until now, if you want to do video, we had standardized on the Flash video, the Swift format. We've gotten feedback from customers that needed to be able to import all kinds of video. So now we've added, you know, QuickTime and Windows Media and, and all those different uh, video formats now. Now, the only thing is people do have to realize that that means that their customers need to have the viewers for those file formats as well. That's the main reason we standardized on the Flash video earlier. We knew it just played everywhere. But in, in proper form, we're now giving the choice to the customer. If you need a format that will play anywhere, we still support the Swift video. If you want to use your own custom QuickTime movies or something, well, you now have that option as well, as long as you're sure your customers can view and play those. And I'm rambling on and on here, so let me go ahead and let you get another question in. So, no, that's great. That's great. I, I think you you actually summarized a lot of the new features in a, in a way that's going to make it easy to for people to evaluate. Uh, so I kind of want to talk about a few of those features. I was taking notes here while you're talking, and the first one you mentioned was this batch processing and you have a new GUI to enable that, mm -hmm. which I think is actually pretty pretty cool because last time, uh, or at least in Flare 5, in order to create that batch file, you had to like, you had to, you had to write some code of some kind in a, I can't even remember, I, I, I never really uh, was doing the batch thing, but, but I, it's something I wanted to do, um, so I'm glad to see that in there. So it's, it's an actual like whole GUI interface, you don't have to, you don't have to, uh, 
write any kind of batch scripts in order to execute that. Yep. Yeah, to do it the old way, you kind of had to have a bit of a grounding in the old DOS syntax. You had to do a directory change in a batch file, which was a CD event, and then you had to cut it, it. It very much harkened back to the DOS box days. With the new one, it's to try and simplify it conceptually. In Flare, you have a list of these publishing targets, these files that represent the documents you want to build. Well, now in that list, you can add a new target that's a bit like a macro target. It has a special icon, but it can be a collection of any of the other targets in the project. So now if you need to build one individual document, you can select its individual target icon and say build. If you need to build a whole group, then you can select that macro target icon and tell it to build. Now if you actually open it into the editor, it's just a simple checklist. It will list every regular standalone target in the project and you just add checkboxes. So rather than having to do all these crazy code and syntax things, you just check the boxes next to the targets you want this particular macro target to build, and you're done. Then if you want to do the scheduling part, that's just, there's a scheduling tab. You switch over, and you just tell it what time and, and you know how often, what day of the week, or, or every day, or periodicity, and you're done. So there's no coding to it at all. You know, I, I guess... I I never really explored that feature enough, so I have a really simple question. In, in order for Flare to kick off that batch script and, and uh, publish all those, those, uh, those targets that are in the macro target, does Flare, uh, do you have to have some kind of server-based thing, or does your computer just have to be on at a certain time and it will run these? How does that even work? Well, with the old version of Flare 5 with those batch files, you could write the batch files, but you had to have some method to kick them off and make them run at a certain time. And that was always a sticky bit for a lot of folks. They didn't have, you know, a 24-hour server to, to kick those off or something. So with this new functionality, yes, the box does need to be running. So if I tell it, you know, build these 14 documents at midnight, well, the machine needs to be up and running at midnight. But we're going to be reading the system clock, and we're actually going to intercept the timing we need to force those builds. It's a little more complex than that, but it's all taken care of behind the scenes uh, working with the Windows subsystems. Okay. All right, let's talk a little bit about the file tagging because this is this is uh, intriguing. Uh, the ability to, to put this metadata on these files, you said an owner, a status, maybe other information. Uh, I can really see how this would be useful if you're collaborating on a project with multiple people. Mm -hmm. but, but even if you're just a, a solo author, It'd be nice to be able to tag certain topics as being done or certain topics as uh, pending review or certain topics as uh, just unfinished. It's, can you do all that? Would that work just if you're a, a solo author? Oh, absolutely. One of the things, kind of a, a teaser for future products here, one of the things that's in the pipeline, and we've already you know shared this with folks, is doing some higher-end CMS content management system integration. Uh, the first one in that pipeline is our SharePoint integration. Now, I don't want to get people's hopes up too high. Still in development, it's going to be a late 2010 or early 2011 release, you know, to, to set expectations. But one of the things we needed to do for that CMS integration was to be able to add all kinds of additional metadata to topics. 
So by adding it to Flare 6, it's kind of doing two things. As one, it provides an immediate benefit for categorizing your content, but long term, this is the metadata we'll be able to use for the higher end CMS integration type metadata. So that files could be, you know, tagged as being part of a certain team or being part of a certain product or a certain process. So it's metadata that can be used for anything. We just kind of are exposing it in this first go around with examples based around assigning to authors and uh, uh, where it is in the process but we haven't locked it down that way. If you want to tag 300 files as being unique for the Dallas office, there's nothing to keep you from doing that. You know, the whole SharePoint integration really intrigues me as well. So, and I don't know how far along you guys are on that. You said late 2010, early 2011, but uh, definitely, at least where I am, that would be highly useful because SharePoint just is sort of this standard CMS that everybody gets to use uh, and or everybody has to use <laughs> however you want to look at it and to be able to to integrate that with Flare that would really increase the, the potential to collaborate a lot more on projects so uh, I'll, I'll be interested to hear more about that later when you when you uh, get more work on that or, or have more news on okay. that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about this link viewer because this is actually one of my pain points that I I have in the current Flare system is that I'll, I'll update a file, I'll change a cross-reference or a link, and and when I save it or, or when I update it, basically, that little dial there's a little dialog box that pops up and says, you know, do you want to update this for all the other topics? And it's like, yeah, and then bam, 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 it, it updates them and then it's gone. And uh, you know that it usually seems to work, although then I I do have broken links a lot of times, but. Uh, it would be nice to really know and be able to see all those links uh, without having to just trust that they've been that they've been updated to be able to go for for example especially if i delete the cross reference then those other topics that link to it are just going to have like an orphaned link or a blank link or mm -hmm. something is this link viewer going to solve a lot of those problems oh absolutely because it it gives you a window you're not just guessing it's like okay my focus, my attention right now is the getting started guide. And for the getting started guide, this piece really shouldn't be here. So right now I may just delete that and then only find out that I broke something else, you know, weeks later. Now I actually have a window. If I need to delete something, I can just glance up and see, oh, wait a minute, that is still necessary for the training manual. So rather than deleting it, I should actually put a conditional on it so it can be removed for the getting started guide but kept for the training manual. So it really, that's kind of what it was there, is just to give you that bigger vision of, okay, if I change this little piece, what is it going to change in the big picture? And it's, again, I've really heard good feedback from the beta testers as far as allowing new writers who may be new to this whole concept of single source publishing, instead of getting tunnel vision and trying to build content just for you know, the PDF or the print manual, it, it helps them remind them of the bigger picture of, hey, you have to write content that works for all of these different outputs that you see in this list here. And so it's kind of a, a reminder for people making that transition from long linear documents to topic-based as well. So it covers a lot of things. It's for the advanced writer, exactly like you say, it helps me know when things are going to impact other parts of my project. And for the new writer, 
it keeps them centered on the fact that, hey, this could be used in multiple different deliverables. The whole concept of the relationship table and, and the ability to create cross-reference links between topics is specifically something that tries to address this, this problem of having cross-references that are out of date or that don't work or that are, are incorrect. And so I, I think this is, you really are trying to, to tackle a problem that does hit a big pain point for people. And, and I actually just discovered the whole relationship table thing about six months ago, and, and I have been using that. But, but I also have internal cross-references that I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully making more accurate with this link. Oh, okay. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about this mobile target a little okay. bit more. Now, I have a colleague who's who's a flare trainer, Paul Pearson. So he was all over this mobile target as soon as it as soon as he was uh, he was a, he was beta testing it. So he was showing it to me, and it looks really good on the iPhone. I have to say, or the iPod Touch, it uh, it seems to fit in with the way things work there and the way things look. It, at least in in as much as other applications look that way too. Uh, but I was looking that, at that and thinking, you know what? I write online help for software applications. Nobody's going to be really using software applications that I document on a mobile browser. And so I was really trying to figure out how I would use this, this mobile target. Uh, so you mentioned that a lot of people who do policy and procedures or business documents are using this because that gives people quick access. Is that is that how you see the main way it will be used? I mean, other than obviously mobile applications who would need a, a help target target like this, is there really a need for putting online help for a desktop type application on there? Not so much online help, but more just reference data. Um, now, this harkens back to my, my years in the physics world and the engineering world, but even back in the 90s, one of the things we had to do was a lot of testing and all these huge test plans, all this data had to be documented for the, the government and submitted, and it would take weeks. I mean, let's say we were testing a big, big you know, uh, turbine-driven uh, electrical generation system. Well, the test may go on for eight hours. And we have to document every piece of test equipment by serial number that was used and when it was calibrated. And then every 15 minutes, we have to take temperature data, bearing temperatures, uh, exhaust temperatures, amperage, voltage. You know, all of this data had to be collected. And it originally was all done on paper. Well, then around, I would say, 93 we switched over to the portable palm devices. Now, this is long before they were integrated with phones. But now we would actually collect all of that data electronically. But then at the end of the day, we would submit our portable device. They would all be synced together. And it would still take somebody in engineering a week to pull all of this data together, you know, consolidate it all, and build the report for the government. Well, now imagine I could have a portable device that's linked up to our main headquarters server that not only shows me the most up-to-date test procedure I should be using. I'm not relying on, on legacy paper anymore, but it could actually have form fields so I could input all of that test data in real time and we could generate the documentation for the government tomorrow. So it's really geared not so much... I, I had, you know, one of the beta testers was giving me a hard time that, well, why did we do this? Why didn't we just make a Kindle output? Well, they're 
apples and oranges. The Kindle device or something like that is great for reading a novel. It's a long linear document. But when it's something that is reference-based, maybe I need to link to a reference table or link to a lookup for a procedure, that's where the documentation that Flare built really plays in. It's this interactivity. So that's just one example of where what used to take weeks could be massively simplified with a mobile output. Now that's just one example. Uh, another example, we are seeing more and more of these iPhone apps getting to be nearly as complex and powerful as their desktop equivalents. And now the question always becomes, comes, you know, well, I don't need help. My app is so intuitive, you know, anybody can figure it out. Well, what button to press is, is intuitive. But let's say I've got a little financial app that I'm working through, and it's walking me through how to calculate, you know, interest on a loan. And I get to the point where I can choose straight line amortization of the interest or accelerated amortization of the interest. Well, it's intuitive I have to make that choice, but what is the domain knowledge I need to have to make that choice? And that's where it could link right to some documentation, right from an iPhone app. So it's not really meant to be just in a, a mobile version of your desktop help. It's more reference data, reference documentation for whatever you need at the moment you need it when you don't have access to that desktop. Now, this is not a real-world example, but it's just fresh in my head. I'm having to travel for a couple of trade shows in Europe, and I'm going to be going to a couple of cities I've never been to before. And I actually got a crazy idea. Rather than carrying around two or three of these big travel books, I've actually been scanning pages of, you know, how do I use the metro system in this city? I make that a topic. How do I use the, the you know, what are the, the addresses for the hotels I'm staying at? I scan that. And so I've actually built this little mobile system for my own device that's just a custom reference doc for my entire trip. So again, I'm not saying that's a real-world example, but it's kind of an example of the kind of reference data that a mobile form factor really lends itself to. Thanks for giving those examples. That's great. So I want to talk one, about one more thing here, and that's the, the multimedia capabilities, because this has also been a, a sore point for me when I'm trying to create documentation, is that I like to use Camtasia Studio for videos, and my favorite output is the MP4 uh, Express Show format type output. And you mentioned that Flare now is going to support not just Swift, uh, but Windows Media, and some other other type of files. Is MP4 one of Absolutely. those? Absolutely. Um, in fact, not to bore people, but includes uh, ASF, MIDI, MPEG, WMA, WMV, WMX, MP3, MP4, MPA, AVI, uh, QuickTime, on and on and on and on. Uh, probably the best thing, the, the official Flare launch will be going live uh, Tuesday, March 2nd. From that point forward, if somebody just hops up to our website, you'll be able to get a list of all of the format supported. So uh, in, in the current version, in order to import a movie or insert a movie, it was kind of tricky. You had to actually just in, insert a picture, and it, it accepted a SWIFT as a picture. And so it wasn't really intuitive that that could actually be a way to insert a movie. It, do you have any kind of like more intuitive ways to insert a media? Do you have like an insert movie option or something? Yep. The insert menu, that overlap 
has has been removed. So now there's insert picture and insert multimedia options from the insert menu. And again, that just gets back to, like I say, to just the usability improvements that also have gone in now. So some of that consistency wasn't great, I have to admit, in earlier versions. And that was just a result of how quickly we were adding functionality. And so we've kind of got the functionality we needed to be competitive. And so now we're in that back into that polish mode. Well, that's great. I'm excited about that because, uh, I, I mean, um, one of the things about RoboHelp that kind of had an edge for a while was its integration with Captivate. And that was kind of working smooth if you were a Captivate user. But uh, I, I do do a lot of, of these little Camtasia movies. And so I'm excited to, to try to make it easier to embed mm-hmm. them in there. Um, Mike, Mike, you talked about doing some road shows earlier, uh, actually, before we started recording. Tell me a little bit about where you're going and what people can hope to get from that and, and if they should be looking at the tour okay. or what. Um, one of the things that we found when an economy tightens up the way ours has, uh, to be polite, a lot of the things that get first cut are the budgets for any kind of travel trade shows and so people get kind of, of of locked out of the ability to go and kind of get that information the, the current up-to-date information so what we've decided is you know as, as cost effectively as possible let's bring the show to as many customers as we can so instead of having to fly across a country or to a different country and pay for hotels and pay for all that we're going to about a dozen different country or uh, uh, cities throughout the world, and we're going to be putting on a one-day event. Um, the current cities, my goodness, put me on the spot here, if I could remember, uh, the San Jose, San Francisco area, Portland, Oregon, uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Chicago, Boston, Rochester, New York, um, Atlanta, Orlando, as far as the U.S., and then uh, internationally, we're currently doing one event in London. And currently, it's going to be in September time frame, one event either in uh, uh, Sweden area, maybe in Denmark, maybe in Sweden. We haven't quite figured that out yet, but someplace in that uh, part of the world as well. Uh, now, that is what is on the agenda now. For example, when we first announced the roadshow, Calgary was not on the agenda but about a dozen uh, Flare users in the Calgary area sent us an email saying, hey, if we can get a dozen or more people together, will you guys come? And we added Calgary as a city to the roadshow. So if there's a group of people who are upset, you know, and they're in, you know, St. Louis or someplace like that, if you have like your local STC chapter or if you can get a group of people together, let us know. We can look at adding another city to the roadshow. Uh, so those are the, the areas. Now, what we're doing with the roadshow, it's a combination. It's a lot of advanced technique and tips for using not only Flare, but all of the products in the Flare system. So the multimedia, the screen capture, the audio, the servers, how those all work together. But then it's also just some high level, just success factors for technical documentation. So even if you're not using the MADCAP tools, you'll definitely walk away with best practices, you know, how to structure topics for maximum reuse, um, how to get the most out of using cascading style sheets, that kind of information. So we're trying to walk that line 
so it's a good event for the seasoned flare user who can get the advanced techniques and tips. It's good information for the new flare user. And if somebody just wants more in-depth information than they think they can get out of the downloaded trial, well then somebody can come and just use this as like a, a, a full day immersion experience of just how this crazy flare thing works. So that's kind of how we've set it up and the current cities we're, cities, uh, we're targeting. Um, now, before you ask your next question, let me preempt, because uh, I'm sure you want to go there, and you may not because you're being polite, so I'll, I'll make sure I throw it out there. These aren't free. We are charging a small fee for attending these, and there's a couple of reasons for that. We've done some free events in the past, and what we found is they immediately fill up with people who just want to play hooky from work for a day and go eat somebody's snacks for free. So the people who really need the information can't get in then. And also, it does cost us a fair bit of money for travel expenses and hotels and all of that. So we are charging a small, modest fee, but it's mainly just so that we don't go into deep debt bringing the show to people, but it's far less than you'd have to pay for travel to go to a full major trade show. And it helps keep the people out who really shouldn't be there in the first place. So that's kind of why the, the thinking of, of why we do charge the fee. Now, the fee we do charge for people who are customers, it's fully can be applied to their future purchases. So if you're a current Flare customer and you're buying upgrades and things like that, well, in the end, it ends up being a free seminar anyways. You just pay for the seminar and get that discount on your next purchase. But it's, that's, that's the overview. Details are up on the website and all of that. Was that what you were looking for? Uh, that's a pretty cool, yeah, yeah, that works. That, that's a pretty cool little system where you, where where your your the fees can be applied to future software or an upgrades that you buy. That that's nice. Um, so Mike, I have one more one more last one last question here, and you mentioned some of these other tools that are part of the suite. Uh, there's Lingo and Mimic and Blaze and Echo and Capture. I've always now, maybe it's because I don't use a lot of these other products. I mean, I use the Capture and the Flare, but I always felt that kind of Flare was the flagship product and that these other products were just kind of like these supporting products. Um, what's the vision for the for Madcap? Is it is it still to pursue and develop all these side products or or to focus on Flare or, or what? Is it the sweet model or or is is that uh, is that taking off as as you had thought? Oh, or absolutely. What? I mean, our, our flare is absolutely our flagship, and it's always going to be. But the suite, the, the Mad Packs, we call them, those are our best-selling items these days. And the things that we do, and I, I try and be honest and upfront and warn people when it comes to things like our capture tool for doing static images or some of the other tools, they're definitely different than what your preconceived expectations might be. I mean, if you need a screen capture tool that's going to give you 40 different options for a torn edge effect, then our tool is not the one. I mean, there's a bunch of them out there that do that. Our focus is that whole core single source publishing concept that we apply to the text model. We also apply to the multimedia model. And that allows us to do things that are, frankly, unique in the industry. We allow you to embed conditioned items inside the graphics or inside the multimedia and then when you publish if you tell us you know hide anything marked as 
uh, enterprise version. I'm building the basic version. Well, we'll hide all of the text in the topics, but then we can hide any of those parts of the graphics that are unique to the enterprise version as well. That's pretty earth-shattering. Nobody else in the industry is even trying to do that. Uh, to go a step further, if you add text into a static image, you can actually embed it as a variable just like you would in a text page. And again, when we process the documents, we will also reprocess the images and then update any of those embedded text bubbles and update those variables. So it's, it's definitely a different model. If somebody just needs them to manipulate pixels, well then there's a gazillion screen capture tools out there. If you need to support single source publishing, building multiple documents, uh, when I publish to PDF, I want my graphic to be full high quality, but it can only be three inches wide and grayscale. When I publish online, I want it to be a JPEG in color and have a thumbnail effect. Those are the kinds of things that we focus on. So it's, it's not that these other tools aren't important to us. They're absolutely ongoing. Uh, in fact, our Mimic tool, our multimedia tool, just recently had a major update where we've added a lot of PowerPoint support and additional functionality. The challenge for us is, well, it's the just kind of peek behind the scenes here. Back in the old days when most of the team was part of the big RoboHelp machine, we took a lot of heat for our marketing practices. Um, I mean, it was not uncommon for people to get, you know, six or eight postcards in one month. I mean, that's just crazy. So now as Madcap Software, we've tried to be much more sensitive to how often we try and communicate with the customers. We try and minimize the disturbances as much as we can, but that also limits just how much information we can share. I mean, if we send a newsletter with three articles in it, that will probably be read. If we send a newsletter with 400 articles, well, that's just going to get deleted and move on. So we're trying to find that balance of how do we communicate all of these tools and yet not pester everybody? Because uh, I have to admit, it is frustrating when I get on a phone call with a customer who says, you know, it sure would be great if you guys could just do this. And we've been able to do that for three versions. <laughs> so it it's a fine line to walk. So, uh, but back to your question, are we still supporting all of these uh, products? Absolutely. In fact, especially the lingo that you mentioned, our translation memory component, that has become almost as big a seller as Flare. So we've created a new suite called Madpack ML or multilingual, and that has been really well received uh, in the last year. All right. So oh, that's good to know. Uh is there anything that we haven't talked about, like with Flare 6 or, or something with the Roadshows or anything that you wanted to cover that, that we didn't get into? Um, no, um, other than if uh, you know people are listening to this and whether they're Flare customers or not, if there's things that they would like to see us doing, directions they'd like us to take the product, please don't be strangers. Feel free to email us, uh, go to our website, fill out our request forms, we are always looking at new functionality to add. Um, like I said, a lot of the core functionality to be competitive is there. Now it's all of the bonus items. And don't get me wrong, we always have some skunk works kind of research projects going on. Uh, we're looking at more modern ways and techniques uh, to do, for lack of a better term, 
uh, information mashups. You know, how do we extract information from other locations and make it become part of a cohesive whole? Uh, we have some experiments going on right now with uh, something we call escalation. Uh, for example, right now customers, if they're in the software biz, they go to the online help because they're frustrated. Well, what if the online help doesn't help? For most companies, now the customer's kind of left struggling on their own. So one of the things we're looking at is, are there ways, interface elements, to where we can steer them to online help? If that fails, escalate them to a knowledge base. If that fails, escalate them to maybe a chat session or a technical support session. So, you know, how do we guide them into success rather than just leaving them to struggle uh, but again, there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of companies working on that. So we always have these skunk work projects going on. But if there's something that somebody says, oh man, if Flare only did this, or if the Mad Pack suite just had a tool that did this, we love to get that kind of information. Don't, I mean, don't be afraid to approach us at a trade show. Um, even my email address is smeared all over the web. <laughs> For those who have any difficulty finding it, it's pretty easy. It's just mhamilton at madcapsoftware.com. I'm more than happy to entertain any emails that come in. Uh, so please, all the feedback we can get, the better. Actually, I thought of one more question. Just sure. uh, kind of on a, on a, I'm just curious about your role because you, you, you seem to have many, many different hats with Madcap. You, you evangelize the product, uh, you, you provide training, you, you, uh, guide what's going into it. Uh, I'm sure you do testing. Do you do, how many different hats do you wear at your company? Um, pretty much any hat that's not being worn by somebody else the day we need something to happen. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where I am one of the founders at Madcap Software, and at one of our first meetings, we kind of had to pick titles for you know for the the, the founders, and so we basically had, you know, the CEO who was the business guy. We had the the. CTO, who was the, the R&D technology guy, and I was the third guy. So I kind of straddle everything from uh, evangelism, customer support, sales support, uh, product management. So we just picked the VP of product management title. So it's just kind of a catch-all title. Well, Mike, thanks for talking to me today. So if people want to find out more, they can go to madcapsoftware.com. You've got a blog at... Uh I can't remember what the what the address is. Can you remind me? I never remember my own blog address. If you just do a Google search on Madcap Mike blog, it's the first hit that pops up. Okay. I'll I'll put the link there in the show notes. Okay. And again, your email, mhamilton at madcapsoftware.com if people want to contact you. So yep. thanks again, Mike, for, for uh, taking time out of your day to explain all these cool new features. And I, and I hope that you have fun on your road tour that you uh, get to see lots of parts of the world that maybe you haven't yet. Who knows? I doubt there are many places you haven't gone yet. But Already? Uh, anyway, thanks, thanks again for talking with us today. All right. Thanks a lot.